1: In Los Angeles, this is the Adult Swim Podcast, Rick and Morty Companion Edition. I'm Matt Harrigan, and we're talking about Rick and Morty number 401, Claw and Hoarder, Special Ricktums Morty. I chatted with some folks who made this episode, including Anthony Chun, who directed it. We'll also hear from storyboard artist Doug Olson, art director James McDermott, and color supervisor Carol Wyatt. By the way, the working title of this episode was Dragon. If you haven't watched it yet, you might want to watch it first. Here we go. Rick and Morty number 401, Claw and Hoarder, Special Rictims Morty.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Anthony Chun, and I'm a director on Rick and Morty. Um, I joined uh, Season Um, 3. I had already been a fan of the first two seasons, so I was really excited to join up uh, Season 3 and uh the first script that i got hot off the presses was uh uh titled pickle rick and i read through it and i was uh immediately blown away by the incredible visual opportunities and um incredible thematic uh uh, kind of extremes uh, that I found in the script. It was it was really amazing. So I was I was thrilled.
1: Is that the first Rick and Morty you directed?
2: Yes, that was the very very first wow. one.
1: What's your background? Back um, way back when?
2: So I was born in Los Angeles. My parents are uh, Korean. They're uh, and I uh, grew up in L.A. Uh, and uh, I always kind of. Um, did a lot of drawing as a kid. That was kind of my hobby. Yeah. Aside from, you know, all that schoolwork, I, you know, I practiced violin. I had a very kind of typical Asian American, you know, model minority upbringing. (laughs) Um, But, um, but the comic books and movies and drawing were my kind of my rebellion. It was sort of my, my, the space that I, I always reserved for, for kind of mm. experimentation and, and uh, just fun um, so I, I did that constantly and then um, in high school I double majored in music I'm a very pretty serious like, classical musician you know I played violin, violin. All my, yeah all my life and then um, and then I also, majored in art as well so I did studio art and music and then in college I went to Yale and I studied literature there uh, and I learned to read and write really well but um, it was basically preparing me for one of two options which was to go to law school or to go into academia and both options didn't seem very good to me and since i had always enjoyed drawing I I tried my hand at, at drawing superhero comics. So I worked up a portfolio of like superhero kind of samples and went to comic book conventions. And I actually ended up, you know, getting some work from the, wow. from DC Comics first and then from Image Comics. And I did that for a few years and I got into animation. Um, I transitioned to doing storyboards and animation, which yeah. is kind of like a, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a through line to that. And then um, went from storyboarding to directing. So,
1: What are some other shows you've worked on?
2: Uh, I worked on... Let's see. So from the beginning of my career, I was working on more like kids' action stuff. So I did... Um, I worked on Jackie Chan Adventures. I worked on The Batman um, over at Warner Brothers. And then I transitioned to... Um, Primetime comedy, so I worked on uh, King of the Hill, and then Bob's Burgers, and then Rick and Morty. So those are some of the kind of recognizable yeah. you know, projects that I worked on.
1: All the best shows.
2: Yeah. Wow, good I've, stuff. I've, I've been very lucky.
1: Yeah. Very, very lucky. What do you look for in a script when it comes to you?
2: Well, I look for, uh, first, does it make me laugh? Right. I mean, if I'm doing comedy, uh-huh. I can immediately, when I'm reading a script, it, See if it's if it's funny or not. Um, if I'm laughing, that's usually a good sign. That's a I good mean. sign. <laughs> and then I also look for um, exciting uh, visual uh, storytelling opportunities. So in Pickle Rick, there was uh, you know this uh, amazing action sequences uh, that. Allowed me to take from you know, movies like Die Hard or you know all all of the the exciting you know eighties action that I that I love to watch or John Wick. Um, and then there was also a lot of horror and science fiction elements.
1: Are those things that you watch and that you like? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you naturally gravitate towards that, so you're probably very good at it.
2: Yeah, I I mean I love kinetic action. Um, I love uh cinematic uh storytelling so if go, going back all the way to the silent era um i've i've always i'm a big cinephile i mean i, I love you know the classic japanese and european like what are some titles um well let's see i mean i love kurosawa i love hitchcock i love uh you know john ford jean cocteau like you know all all of the the kind of the, the granddaddies of of uh film and then but i i'm able to kind of incorporate a lot of um that kind of grammar visual grammar into uh rick and morty because it's a it's an unusually visual show like a lot from cocteau to pickle rick (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean in a way like like the transformation sequences and you know um it it all it all kind of feeds in you know the kind of the, the 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 a constant tricking of the eye and, um, you know, the way you use kind of these, these cuts and, you know, to kind of show a a, a particular kind of way in which a, a character, you know, goes from, you know, the, the, the pickle form into, into a robot form, you know, the way in which you use, I use montage and things like that.
1: Do you have a philosophy how you direct Rick and Morty?
2: Um, You know, I just kind of like it, I I follow my intuition a lot. I mean, that's what I enjoy about uh, Rick and Morty is that I can read on the page, you know, a a particular kind of description and it will immediately fire off a a multitude of, of images. Um, and it, it's just, a, it's, it's exciting because it just kind of funnels through me. I mean, that's it, in a way it's, it's not me imposing my own ideas onto the material, but the material suggesting a particular way in which it wants to be, um, communicated and, and, and executed. So it's just reading the script and thinking, Oh, this 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 particular idea of like will fire off you know like uh, a a series of images from any number of kind of movies or or things that i've i've seen um in the past but also it has its own kind of you know kind of i i want to bring bring it into the rick and morty universe which it has has a kind of a particular kind of visual style but i'll always kind of adapt whatever um kind of uh, influences to that particular kind of sensibility.
1: Walk us through your approach to Dragon.
2: So Dragon. um, Well, I got the script and um, another exciting opportunity was to go uh, to situate uh, Rick and Morty and Summer um, in from the usual science fiction uh, kind of genre, and then put them into the fantasy genre, which I love—sword and, and sorcery, and um, you know D and D, and all of that. So that was really exciting for me to kind of to to kind of again play with new tropes, uh, new new cinematic tropes, um, and so that was. My approach was to look at, you know, and, and to conjure, you know, um, dragon movies that I loved from my childhood, like, um, uh, Dragon Slayer, which I loved, um, and Lord of the Rings, of course. And, um, also the paintings of, uh, Frank Frazetta and Boris Vallejo, um, that entire kind of genre. I used to. As a kid when uh my friends would be playing D and D, I would be the the guy who drew their character uh portraits in oh, wow. the, their sheets. <laughs> so That's the, a nice benefit. That was <laughs> that was always something that I did. Um and I had always loved doing sword and sorcery uh drawings since I was a, a kid. So this was a particularly exciting and, and, and resonant episode for me.
1: Sci fi and fantasy mashup yes, yeah. yes, absolutely yeah. that's interesting so you you came into it with that approach,
2: yeah, and again, it's like it, there's exciting opportunities for uh showing the scale um, and kind of anthropomorphizing uh, these creatures and giving them uh personality and acting um so that was a particular challenge you know it's like giving this dragon you know head human expression um and personality and how do you do that um how do you do that um well it's subtle it's in the eyes it's in the mouth um so there's lots of shots with just you know the head kind of leaning down to Rick and you know and so we had that's how I would kind of compose shots with this giant head where the dragon had lowered its head. But then I'll also kind of shoot uh, very wide and show this kind of the, the giant size of the dragons next to the human sized character. So you get a sense of their size relationship. Um, but I always love doing that because you can do a lot with point of view, you know, with the characters looking up at the dragon and how how kind of awesome and and intimidating its its sizes and then you know vice versa the, you know looking down at the human characters from the point of view of the dragons and you can see how how small and insignificant they are um but then also it it gives opportunity for comedy as well because you're showing this scale but then their dialogue is always very irreverent and and kind of, you know, um, you know, funny and, and silly, you know, so you're, you're kind of juxtaposing kind of a comedic situations with this kind of these, what's, what's usually typically a kind of a, 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 a grand and epic, you know, kind of, uh, composition. Um, but it's, but it's, it, it's funny. And yeah. It ends up being goofy. You're playing it yeah. straight. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: So. Is it tempting to not play it straight sometimes?
2: No, I always find things are are funnier when you kind of play them straight. Uh-huh. You know, you kind of go into it, but then you the the tension, you know, of the dialogue, the ridiculousness of the dialogue with the kind of the this kind of epic, you know, uh, uh, kind of compositions and vistas, you know, like it's is makes for for good comedy.
1: How does this compare to the pickle Rick execution?
2: uh it was it's a different different set of influences mm-hmm. definitely so like it with that's the amazing thing about about Rick and Morty cuz each episode presents its own very unique uh set of demands uh and um and draws upon a, a different set of influences so you know i worked on so pickle rick was much more again i played a lot with scale similarly you know i i enjoy doing that like you know so we have the the, the kind of this tiny sized pickle you know and next to to rats it's this it's a it's a new world it's a kind of a different so you your you you know your camera is down there at ground level with everything and um, so you you put in the backgrounds things that will remind you, Oh, that they're tiny, you know, like a doll head or some other kind of like broken bottle in the, in the sewers. Um, and then when Rick is like killing the, the, the you know, the agents in the, um, in the embassy, uh, he's kind of you know slicing through their feet, you know, and it's so when there's a shot where he he cuts through their legs and then they all fall into the foreground. He jumps through, but it it looks like trees, you know, the legs compared to Rick are like a forest, you know? So he's cutting through them and then jumping through as all the trees are falling. And so that that kind of thing where you're kind of playing always with this, the size relationships is always really exciting. And it, it puts you in a different kind of... It defamiliarizes everything in a very interesting way.
1: It's surprising.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Dragons was, was, is, is similar, um, but it's much more like... I, I, I much more kind of just took the, the kind of the, the, the composition compositions and tropes from all of the kind of dragon movies and kind of flight sequences and yeah. stuff like that, that I, that I, that I love
1: a lifetime yeah. of s- watching movies. Yeah. Yeah. Brought of to course. Bear on of this. course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you direct just the A story in this one?
2: No, I direct the entire The episode. entire thing. Yeah.
1: So that's yeah. a big shift when you're going to the B story of this episode.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the thing about, um, Rick and Morty that's really cool is that it, it can be very subtle and kind of quiet and kind of more uh, kind of uh, ascetic in its in its visual approach so you'll just have you know Jerry talking to this cat that you know it's just is behaving like a cat but you just hear the voice and um, and those shots are usually very kind of simple setups um, and you just let the action kind of and the dialogue play out on on wider shots um and that serves as a very nice contrast to the big kind of set piece action of the of the dragon episode similarly in pickle rick we had these crazy like action sequences you know and then they would cut to the therapist's office which would be again i had like you know about three or four different camera setups in that office that I just returned to again and again, because that's that, that was the way to shoot that therapist's office in a very static and kind of quiet
1: juxtapose manner. it against the action. Yeah. Of the other the, part of the, the show
2: bloody kinetic and the
1: like color crazy. palette of the show. Mm-hmm. Everything changes,
2: everything changes. So that's, that's always really fun. So going, switching from a to B is, is really, but then there was kind of like an interesting resonance with the cat because it's both, you know, animals like sidekick friends, right. um, and the the cat. You know, its behavior was very not anthropomorphized, but actually very naturalized. You know, so we had to kind of capture just this cat kind of doing cat like things, um, and so that was a very interesting kind of um kind of juxtaposition as well.
1: Do you, I don't know, research cats
2: i watched cat videos you did yeah yeah uh, sure, sure those
1: are hard to find <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and then uh for dragons i i watched you know count you know how to train your dragon and dragon slayer and and watched you know lots of videos of you know of of different uh um different dragon movies uh-huh. you know like the lord of the rings and and, and uh the hobbit um
1: uh, But for Jerry's story, you just watch cat videos. I just watch cat
2: (laughs) videos. Yeah. That's funny.
1: Tremendous work. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Anthony. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. Doug Olson, storyboard artist. Tell us your
3: history. Uh, Born and raised in uh, Smithtown, New York, which is on Long Island and uh, drew my whole life, moved out here maybe six years ago. I actually got into the industry on uh, Venture Brothers. Uh, Some uh, studio a mate of mine um, was looking at some drawings I had done in Italy, and uh, they were kind of landscapes and whatnot. And he said, you know, these kind of look like animation backgrounds. You know, would you ever be interested in doing that? And I said, yeah. And uh, he knew uh, Jackson Public or Chris McCulloch, who's Uh uh, the creator of Venture Brothers. And he's like, they're stepping up for season five. Would you be interested in trying out? And I said, absolutely. I I want a storyboard, but I'd try this out. Um, And uh, so they gave me the test to uh, to try uh, to to to, to test out for backgrounds on Venture Brothers, and they um, they hired me. And uh, from then, uh, you know, I learned a ton on that show. I eventually kind of snuck onto the board team because I was just always in the room bugging them, being like, you know, asking tons of questions. Um, I wanted to start on boards right away, but prior to that, I'd only done like. Little, like, you know, commercial gigs here and there. So I didn't really have the portfolio for it.
1: Chris Pernoski told me that the uh, job that is most desirable that he would advise anybody who wants to get into animation is to be, try and be a storyboard artist. A storyboard artist? Yeah. Really? The most in demand job, the hardest to uh, fill, and probably maybe one of the hardest jobs of all. <laughs> it, so, so, so says he. Yeah. I, I would. Uh... I would agree with You'd that. You'd Have to agree. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, it's definitely difficult. It's it's uh, you. Re- it requires a pretty broad skill set. Yeah. Um, you got to know your anatomy. You got to know your perspective. You got to know your storytelling, like beats, and like understand how all that stuff assembles. And
1: how long have you been
3: on Rick and Morty? Uh, I was on it since season three. Uh, my first episode was actually Pickle Rick. Wow. <laughs> so Emmy award-winning pickleball. Yeah, started off strong. Started off strong. Um, I uh, I was actually uh, at a studio called ADHD uh, that Fox was trying to compete with Adult Swim. I um, was working with these two guys, Matt and Dave, Matt Silverstein and Dave Jesser, uh, on this show called Goal and the Insatiable, and uh, they had invited me to direct on it. Uh, it was my first directing gig, and um, went really well, but the network wasn't so hyped about it because there was a change in leadership, and um, it ended up getting canceled like that happens a lot and then uh they knew I was a big Rick and Morty fan and they were friends with um our uh Mike Mendel our old producer right may he rest in peace uh and they um they knew Mike and they said hey we'd love you know we could put in a word for you over there and and they actually ran into Mike um they had emailed him and then like a week later they uh Matt Silverstein ran into him at a Trader Joe's and just stopped him and said hey you got to <laughs> you got to check this guy dug out wow and, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that, uh, they did check me out and, uh, they hired me on the show for season three. And yeah, my first day they gave me this script called Pickle Rick and I was like, what the hell is this? They just hand you the script. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know. I mean, I was already a big fan of the show and I was just like, you know, you read a title like that and it takes a minute to absorb. <laughs> You're like, yeah. what am I about to read? And, uh, yeah, it was great. The director was Anthony Chun, who I worked with all season. Um, learned a lot from him. He's a really phenomenal, phenomenal director and uh and uh yeah it was quite an adventure it was it was a really good good experience
1: so walk us through your experience uh on this new season we're looking at the first 5 episodes that are airing
3: um
1: well you know the thing with <laughs> the thing with this
3: show is you love the material and then that means you fall in love with the boards that you're working on but then inevitably most of the time it gets thrown out <laughs> so it's hard to kind of you have, to, you have to learn to kind of, it's tough
1: love, but um,
3: the changes they make always improve it. And, and you know, in the end, you have something that you can be really proud of.
1: Which is the first one that you worked on? I worked on the
3: Dragon episode. I'm not sure what it's called now. Uh, it's the Morty Gets a Dragon episode. Yeah. Um, how does that come to you? How does that come to us?
1: You ha- you're handed a script. Literally, you're sitting at your desk. Someone walks in and says, here you go. Um, we. No, that's not how it works.
3: Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like that. Uh, well, we, we all get the script, um, and then we uh, read it, and we have a kickoff meeting uh, with all the uh, storyboard artists and the director. That was, again, with Anthony Chun, who was uh, on at the beginning of the season. He actually left to go over to Solar Opposites. Um, and you kind of just have big, broad strokes of like what this episode's going to be about, what is uh, everyone going to go through what are the big pivots what is the what is the really important stuff to really hammer home especially in the boards like cuz the boards are really where it sells it like the boards the designs are amazing the art is great um, everyone on this team is super talented, but like the boards always kind of have to make sure those story points make sense, make sure the jokes land, make sure everything kind of flows in a, in a, in an understandable kind of like cohesive manner.
1: <laughs> Cause if that doesn't work, then nothing else
3: matters. Yeah. I, I, well, then you have something that's really pretty to look at, but you may not understand the story or you may not understand where everything's going. Um, yeah. But, uh, and then, you know, the director will have some ideas of his or her own that will kind of help kind of solidify Yeah, a lot of, some directors are really like free. Like they'll just be like, here you go. Uh, say there's four board artists on an episode with a director, they'll subdivide the script into four sections. Um, so that's usually maybe five, six pages a piece. If it's say like, you know, 25, 30, 35 page script, something like that. And, um, Sometimes they'll just be like, go to town, let's see what you got. We got about two weeks to do a thumbnail pass. Um, or sometimes the director might be like, hey, I really see this particular thing in my head. You know, Rick's going to fuck a dragon here. So <laughs> <why don't, laughs> I, I imagine it on a hilltop, <laughs> kind of a romantic setting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, gives us a little guidance. Yeah, we get uh, about six weeks in total to uh, do an episode. Um, It ends up being a little bit longer than that, inevitably, because there's notes and rewrites. But it's two weeks to do a thumbnail pass. Um, uh, Ideally, the writers and, and Dan and Justin get a chance to look at that. They give their feedback. They let you know, hey, these jokes are working great. Keep going. Or they might be like, Hey, this whole B story is not really working. We're going to rewrite it, but move ahead with the A section, whatever. Um, but then we go in there and start cleaning up, revising, revising, revising until uh, you know. Fast forward about two months later, if everything stays on schedule, we get a we get an animatic.
1: They write the jokes, but you have to tell the jokes. Kind of, yeah. Is that accurate? Um, yes. That's
3: that's partially. Well, a lot of the jokes also come in the performances. Obviously, The, right. the voice acting is phenomenal. Uh, but yes, the, the, the storyboard has to support the jokes or there's, I, I call it sometimes writing in the corners, like the scripts are already there and it's one, it's a script driven show. So we stick to the scripts pretty closely, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, you'll just be able to put in a pose or two that just make a scene even funnier or add an action or sometimes, you know, especially if it's like an action or a chase sequence where they're somewhat vague on what's going on, then, then you can put in gags, visual gags, that kind of thing.
1: So walk us through some of the particular scenes that stand out. Um,
3: well, I had mentioned the uh, the scene with um, Rick and uh, the dragon Barth
1: Barth Bartholomew. Yeah, I tried to I tried to spell it Bartholomew, <laughs> but I don't think I got it right. I couldn't
3: Bartholomew. They they uh-huh. every character I think pronounces it their own way. Um, they're having kind of an intimate moment on a hilltop, and it's this very chaotic kind of. Uh, you, you want it to feel sexual, but you also want it to feel funny. So yeah, how did you balance that?
1: Because I, in reading the the script, maybe it wasn't the record script, or, or maybe it was, but it it was very different as. I guess it tends to be.
3: It evolved quite a bit. Originally, the uh, the 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 this dragon sex part was also including summer, which I think. They
1: <laughs> yeah, that was in the script. Yeah. They, Why they,
3: did they take that one away? I don't know. Um, I think they really just wanted to make about the make it about the relationship between Rick and the dragon, and how you know Rick is look is 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 caring more about himself than Morty because it's Morty's dragon. Um, and I don't think the wizard was there. Uh the, the wizard the wizard you sh- know the wizard wasn't there in the original uh the wizard was added later who's kind of like a pimp the wizard's right. kind of like a <laughs> um the wizard's you know and, and he slut shames the dragon for for disobeying the contract that he had forged with Morty
1: Right. Um, pimp slaps the dragon. Yeah. With yeah. his glowing whip.
3: Yes. Yes. But uh yeah the uh Anthony our director had this idea about uh he 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 referred me to like Muppets the way they can kind of like freak out and like panic, like if as if it's a puppet, just kind of shaking all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I got to do when I, I really got to dip into that with the animation of of Rick and the dragon, both kind of spasming out as they kind of like flail all over the yeah. place with beams of energy flying
1: off their chest. So that's a it's a sex act. Uh huh. That's what's happening.
3: Yes, but it doesn't. It's not expli But although they're moaning, <laughs>
1: right? And, <laughs> There's and- a lot of
3: audio. There's no like you know corporal contact between the two of
1: them oh, there's it's, no contact it's, it's spiritual contact <laughs> you know and that's what love is but a hand bond is offered
3: uh, sort of
1: <laughs> at the end <laughs> yeah uh,
3: but yeah that whole scene and then and then um, and then the, the Morty, Morty and Summer of course discovers them in the act and yeah. uh,
1: Coitus is Interruptus fantastic <laughs> and, you're, maybe because you're watching yeah <laughs> Don't stop! Yes, yes, yes. They they
3: dance around it a little bit. What that is, and then.
1: Um, but you didn't dance around it when you were storyboarding it. No, no. You went for it. You got to get in there.
3: You got to get it.
1: Make it. Make it as raunchy as possible. Let's talk about the B story on this one. What can you tell us about the evolution of that?
3: The B story was done by Kevin Pollock, who uh, it's the Jerry and the Cat, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you don't necessarily work on both the whole thing.
3: No. A lot of times, the way it's broken up is like, uh, so for that particular episode, the B story, you know, they you try and get all of the same thread of a story to one artist. So they're working with the same characters, the same beats. You know, um, they have like a good grip on like that. Like, so Kevin took that whole B story. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I got a lot of the dragon stuff with um, with Rick, and then also, I kind of do a lot of machinery in the show. What do you mean? Um, like, there's a device that Rick builds to uh, suck magic out of this stone golem, right? and it's just kind of like a kooky, crazy,
1: um, so I, I don't yeah, know. the gears? Yeah. And the, uh, gears I, I noticed toys. that it was uh, like a water pump. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah,
3: anything that ha- for some uh, that's just a rep like a rep I have on the show is like if there's a weird machine that needs to be animated wow. built then I I usually get that
1: is is there is there something that in your history like do you look to are you inspired by some sort of Rude Goldberg uh, mechanism Goldberg
3: sure I mean yeah. I love Rube Goldberg. Um, I don't know. My dad's a little bit of an engineer. Like he he he's a he's a musician primarily, but he he does a lot of like handiwork and is able to build machines. And I always kind of was fascinated by that. Also, I um, studied with a guy named David Macaulay, who is a uh, children's book author and illustrator. But uh, he did this book called "The Way Things Work," which is basically kind of like a kind of a comedic version of not a comedic, but an illustrated version of how like wind energy works and how uh, you know just. Uh, so you worked with him. I studied under him in college. Yeah. Oh
1: wow. Tell us about some of the other sequences that you think people should pay attention to in this in this first batch.
3: Mm. Well, there was a really great sequence in that Dragon episode where um, Rick and Morty and Summer are now in the fantasy world and they're dealing with an orc army, and it was a pain in the ass. Anytime you have a crowd, especially if that crowd is attacking, you know, if you're dealing with armies, it's a Pain in the butt. For a lot of our, armies in the show. For, oh my god, constantly
1: with groups armies. of people advancing.
3: Yes. Um, so, and then on top of that, you know, it's they're in like a like a lava. They're they're jumping from like pyre to pyre over lava, and then Rick's got this. Initially, he didn't have this machine. They were just kind of like fantasy warriors dealing with these orc armies. But then later, Rick had built this kind of like. Ghostbusters pack where he's using magic on everybody, but uh, that was a really fun That was something I did early on in the season that I was pretty happy with
1: Here's color supervisor Carol Wyatt What does that mean?
0: <laughs> um, I'm in charge of the color for the whole show Mm-hmm. So um we have painters and color stylists, color designers and everything comes to us in black and white and we do the lighting, the color, the mood, the characters, the effects, uh-huh. everything.
1: What's your background?
0: Oh, my gosh. In animation? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, I've worked in animation now for I know. 31 years. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, how many things do you want to know? <laughs> I, I started wanna... on The Simpsons back oh. in the 80s. Wow. Yeah, and I've been doing this for a long time. How does this
1: show compare to that show?
0: Oh, it's so much more complicated. This was Yeah, but I only was on the Simpsons the first 4 years, so I don't know what it's like now.
1: Only 4 years on the Simpsons. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why is it so much more complicated?
0: Oh my gosh. Everything's more complicated now. Yeah. But um well, first of all, you can do more now everything is so much more sophisticated Mm -hmm. color wise we can do incredible effects and we kind of can do feature type things even though it's not a feature we don't have the schedule or or uh people to do feature quality but we get as close as we can with mood and lighting and painterly quality and keeping it within the style of the show
1: so simpsons what else
0: so, okay. Um, Walk me through <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, I need my resume I don't remember it all um, Okay, I worked on Rocco's Modern Life, I worked on the Powerpuff Girl movie, I worked on Gosh, what did I do after Simpsons I worked with Lily Tomlin On her show uh, I worked on a lot of music videos In the 80s and 90s Wow Um, Gosh, it's a long list How would you end up here? Oh, uh I started on the pilot oh, and uh, they needed someone to do color and it was perfect timing. I came on and I helped uh, Jason Besh and I work together on the pilot and uh, we had a blast and then just kept working on the show after that. What's it
1: like working on the show? Do you like it?
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yeah.
1: Everybody seems really happy here.
0: Oh, it's the best. We have so much fun and the stories are hilarious. You laugh out loud while you're working on them. And you get to do things you'd never get to do on any other show. Why? Like what? Raunchy stuff.
1: Raunchy stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. S- uh, slut dragons.
0: Slut dragons. Where else can you do a slut dragon? Right. And talk about it seriously at work every day.
1: Yeah. What pops out in your mind about dragons?
0: Dragons? Oh, well, according to what we do, mm-hmm. it's like incredibly gorgeous. We We did kind of a. Um, fantastical world that looks very similar to something that might be like a van painting from the eighties. it's like over the top magical and really fun, really beautiful. So we got to experiment and do great stuff.
1: Experiment. What what do you mean?
0: Well, like, because we're making fun of a lot of magic Mm -hmm. in the show, yeah. We get to apply magic in the show. So we get to do a lot of magical effects that we normally wouldn't do in the show. Things that are kind of would be tacky, but then we make them look really cool.
1: And do you have a lot of um, freedom to do what you want?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have an art director who has ideas specifically about what he wants, Mm -hmm. but then we will... Yeah, we have a lot of freedom. We come up with a lot of ideas, and then uh, he decides if it's worth using or not using.
1: When you look back at it, what do you want people to see or what people should notice?
0: The dragon orgy?
1: The dragon orgy, yeah. That'll be interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That looks amazing. So not only is it hilarious and funny... But we made it look incredible and we even added kind of an LGBTQ element to it where the effects are rainbow and um, it's there's so much going on in that show. We had a lot of fun with that.
1: Do you bring your personal life into your work? Like, do you hide stuff in? Do you um, use references that are personal to you?
0: Oh, yeah, we always do. I, I can't think of one specifically right now. Yeah. But yeah, of course. Absolutely. You have to have real life experience or you can't do cartoons.
1: So real your real life experience gets filtered in to the show. Of course. Always. How, how does that, how would that work? Give me an example. <laughs> maybe not specifically, but hmm. but maybe specifically.
0: Well, moods you know, you, you have to be really in touch with emotions and moods because we're trying to tell the story through color. So, you know, if we need something really sad and depressing, you got to know what that feels like and what that looks like and how you want to convey that color wise, light wise with the characters. I mean, the acting is amazing. So that helps, but we have to enhance it as much as possible through color. So, uh, using moods is really kind of where your experience comes in the most you got to know what's funny you got to know what's sad you got to know what's scary what people think is scary and how and you got to know disgusting what is disgusting you got to know
1: the color of vomit
0: right vomit is what color should vomit be all all different colors it can be anything (laughs) it depends on what it's made of (laughs) In this show, it could be sci-fi vomit, or it could be human vomit, or it could be dragon vomit. It could be any kind of vomit, drug vomit.
1: How many different vomits have you colored?
0: Oh my God. In my lifetime or on this show? show. On this show. um, Keep it to that. (laughs) I have no idea. I can't count. It's too many. Too many different vomits. So many. On one show I worked on back in the 90s, we had a whole um, binder full of vomit.
1: Wow.
0: Vomit options. Yeah. Rocco's Modern Life. We did a vomit binder.
1: So it's interesting. You tell a story through color. Yes. How do you learn that?
0: Um, Well, you have to be a painter or an illustrator. You have to know how to paint. You have to know how to tell... You know, it it helps if you've had illustration experience or graphic design experience. So you're conveying what you're trying to sell or what the story is through the illustration, through the design. So, um, but you really are focusing mostly on enhancing the mood and the lighting. So in live action, it would be more like cinematography, but in animation, it's color. That's kind of the broad term.
1: Getting back to Dragon, so talking about telling stories through color, Mm -hmm. there's a real dramatic shift between the A story and the B story. Mm -hmm. What's your role in that, in making that? I guess you have to, in telling story in color, it's pretty pronounced in this one.
0: Right. Well, in this case with Jerry, his story, um, I assume that's what you're talking about. Um, That's more of the real world. So we have to stick more to the real world, which is, a very different palette and it's different design wise than dragons dragons. We really get into kind of a fantastical world and um, it's a lot more detailed and we can take liberties with the style and kind of, kind of veer out of the style slightly, but staying within it. And with the Jerry story, you know, we're in the real world, we're on a plane, we're on a drug boat, we're, you know, in the sunset world, Miami. you know, in a <laughs> or a visa or wherever they decided to make it. Um, they they have to still feel like Rick and Morty. It has to feel very strongly centered in Rick and Morty world. We you know, we can't we need to hold safely to his world so that we're in Jerry world and we can laugh at what's happening to Jerry. Has the palette changed through the seasons? It has. um, It's getting more complicated over the years. And definitely this year uh, when I came on, um, I really wanted to push it more because I want these painters to get recognized for the hard work that they do. And the designers also, they, they do such detailed work I want to make sure that that it really shines so that what does it mean to push it, push it like, um, well, most primetime stories have like simplified palettes and and line work. And uh, I've worked a lot in, in children's television also, but in children's you can you can really experiment more. And coming back into primetime, I wanted to push it so that we could experiment more and push the the look of the show more and have it a little bit more rendered and a little bit more painterly in some places so it's not just stuck in the primetime world
1: Best looking animated show on TV? Yep. Thanks to you
0: Uh, okay (laughs) Thank you Okay,
1: Carol Wyatt (laughs) This is art director James McDermott what does he show Jerry in the desert?
4: We don't know.
1: We don't know. He,
4: they, they wouldn't explain it to me. So yeah. I was kind of like, okay. <laughs> and then now it's going to be one of these things that there's a couple like things in the show that like, like are private to Justin that he would never explain to me. And um, there's one particular character uh, from season one that, he wanted drawn and it says something specific on his, on the character's shirt Uh that like clearly gives him the inner childish giggles, but like he would never explain it to me. What does it say? (laughs) It just looks like, you know, football or it's just Roman Roman numerals Uh and that kind of thing
1: from the first episode.
4: Uh, I I couldn't say what scene exactly, but uh, he's got like red curly hair. He's got, uh, like kind of a football shirt on, uh, kind of a skinnier, character but he was very specific about what the roman numerals say on the shirt and every single time i'd ask him he'd be like i don't know he like he like wouldn't explain it to me and wanted to keep it a secret for his own you know his own giggles
1: is this another example of that yes the desert scene i think so do you have a uh, do you have a theory
4: um i don't i mean I'm like what the hell can a cat do <laughs> it's like jesus christ I have no clue. Um, I'm assuming some sort of horrible carnage, but I I couldn't say exactly what.
1: And what about the wizard? Wizard Uh, was a late edition? Not in the script?
4: Not originally. Yeah, the wizard was not there originally. Um, I think they needed something to connect. Or I think there was needing to be like a bigger power in that world versus it just being the dragons and um um so that rick could kind of go toe to toe with with sort of another um powerful being and uh you know his uh use of slet dragon was uh repeat with repeated use was interesting
1: yeah what about uh, that whip <clears throat> it's an advancement of the lightsaber
4: yeah the uh the old en- energy whip you know um, has
1: that come around before
4: yeah. I felt like we've done it before. Um, I mean, this was a new design for specific for the episode, like basically everything in this episode, um, needed to have the magic quality. So even like there was at one point, um, there's like a security system in the, the dragon, uh, arena area and like these spotlights came on and, and, originally as we were kind of like, ah, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel like it fits the world. Like we should just have sort of a rising wall of flames as like his security alarm, you know, to sort of fit the sort of magic aspect theme of the world and everything. Um, cause basically Rick's tech doesn't work in this world. And, um, so, uh, so yeah, that was kind of interesting to, you know, make everything sort of feel, uh, a little different in that
1: way. James McDermott, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Subscribe to the Adult Swim Podcast in your podcast app, and you'll get very personal with the people behind some of your favorite Adult Swim shows. Send your requests, comments, or criticisms, whatever, to Adult Swim at gmail.com. And here are the sounds of the multiverse with the Rick and Morty soundtrack available now. The album features fan favorites like Get Schwifty and Alien Jazz Rap, original scores from composer Ryan Elder, as well as new songs from Clipping and Chad Van Galen. The Rick and Morty soundtrack is on sale in the Sub Pop Mega Mart now or available on all streaming platforms. Thanks to Christina Loringer for editing this and to Dave Bonowitz for his help. Thanks to Anthony, Doug, James, and Carol for chatting with me. Special thanks to Steve Levy for wrangling all these folks. And thank you for listening.